This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 517. And the quote of the day is, if you aren't grateful for what you already have, what makes you think you will be happy with more? You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. This is number 517, and this is a great episode. I'm super pumped about it. And before we get into it, first I want to thank everyone for leaving ratings and reviews, and I appreciate it. I read every single one of them. Unfortunately, I can't respond to them on iTunes, but uh, but I do appreciate it. I, I don't want you to think that that, that goes... Uh, unnoticed. Also, the 500th episode giveaway is complete. We've picked all the winners. So be sure to check your email because I sent a couple emails out to some people, some winners, and didn't hear back from anyone yet. Or I heard back from some people, but not from everyone. So uh, if you enter to win something for the 500th episode giveaway, be sure to check your email and check your spam folder as well to see if you're a winner or not. And we can get those prizes sent out to you ASAP. And okay, that's all the business side. So let's get into this conversation. This is with Dini Negron and she is a Berkeley grad. She's from the Lehigh Valley, which is around where I grew up, which I'm super uh, pumped to have another another Pennsylvania native on here. But she is currently drumming for Cirque du Soleil. She's been with Cirque du Soleil for quite some time now. And the conversation is great on numerous levels. One, we talk about her journey of of going through middle school and high school playing and then get and then realizing once she got into college that she didn't want to go for sports management. She wanted to go for music, transferring to Berkeley. But then also her transition into Cirque du Soleil. And we talk a lot about about happiness, about about doing the things that are right for your career and not necessarily what are right for other people's careers and and the way that she designed her life around the things that she wants to do. And then also some stuff that she still has on her bucket list. So just an amazing conversation. She's a, a great player and an even greater person. And I'm so happy to have her on here. So let's not waste any more time and get into this conversation with Didi Negron. Didi, how are you today? Hey, what's up, Nick? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I want to uh, I want to publicly thank you for uh, doing this again because yesterday we had a bit of a audio technical snafu, uh, which was <laughs> totally my fault, which I didn't think that it was, and I was <laughs> blaming you the whole time, and it was totally my fault. So, uh, public apology is in order. So I apologize and thank you for doing this. You know, on day two. Oh yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. So, are you on the road right now? Where are you in the world? I am. I'm in Toronto right now. Oh, I love Toronto. It's such a great city. I know. It's always it's like a mini New York. It just never sleeps, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't know if if Toronto gets the credit that it deserves, but if anyone is, you know, anyone has the chance to visit, I think that they should definitely do it. It's totally like you get there and you're like, "Wow, this place is actually really cool." I don't, you know, it, there's no other way to describe it. It's just a really interesting, unique city. Yeah, there's so many things going on too, especially at night. I know uh Mary J Blige was here a few days ago and uh there are a few other big artists that that are just at the Budweiser stage playing every night and um 
where I play, it's right next to each other. So we hear the music throughout my throughout the show, and it's just like it's it's fun to hear. It's happening awesome. every night. Yeah. Huh? Are you are you doing a residency there in Toronto? No, we're we're set up here uh, with the Big Top, so mm-hmm. we traveled. Yeah, different cities. We just came from. We were in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and then prior to that, we were in Montreal. And yeah, that's the the tour is just going to continue on. And we're in each city for about six to eight, uh, six to ten weeks. Got it. That's what I was just going to ask. How long you're there? Yeah, which is actually which, nice because the difference of that, you know, versus being on tour is that you're not, you know, you're not leaving after the show every night and getting a day room and sort of like living. Like I'm guessing you don't feel like you live on the road as much as if you would, you know, if you were touring in a band. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we get to unpack and settle in, uh, not technically live out of the suitcase. I mean, we do, but not. It's a it falls in that, you know, that fine line where where we don't kind of. Right. And uh, we get to check out the city and get to know the city and. and That's what I was gonna yeah, say. You so. probably feel like you kind of live there a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good too if you're ever thinking about moving and you've been to all these places for six to eight weeks and you're like, oh, I could see myself, yeah, yeah. you know, living there. <laughs> So where is home yeah. for you then? So I live outside of Philly uh, in the Lehigh Valley. Um, oh, you still so, so you do st- still live there? Yeah, that's where I call home. That's nice. where I call home. Yeah. yeah, I said when when your uh, your info came over, and I was like six one zero, like six one zero area code. I was like, now we're talking because you know I I talk about it on the podcast a lot that um you know I I grew up outside of Philly, so uh, when uh-huh. I saw that, it's always nice to talk to someone from my from my area. Yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, I, I thought when you when you called me, I was like, oh, here goes spam again. Let's uh, <laughs> right. not answer this phone call. <laughs> Which I'm sure that most people who have my number in their phone still th- consider it spam when I call. <laughs> but that's a uh, that's a whole other topic. So I want to talk. So we we sort of jumped ahead and we're talking about what you're doing now, which is great. I want to talk a, a little bit of the journey of how you got there, right? So you you grew up in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, talk to me about sort of like your first run in with, with drumming and percussion and, and how you got into this crazy world? Yeah. Uh, well, it all, all started in church. Uh, my father, my father's a musician. He plays, he plays guitar. He plays a 12 string guitar also called the cuatro. It's a typical guitar from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And, um, so music has been, it's been a thing in my family. Also my two older brothers, uh, they also play. Um, and growing up in church, it just, the music really just caught my attention and I, my focus was always towards the band, especially the drummer. I don't know why, but it just happened to be the drummer. And, uh, yeah, growing up and also in, in church, I just, I would typically sit next to the drummer and my father, he, he played in different bands and, um, he would take me with him and I would just sit next to the drummer and just watch him. And, my parents, I believe they thought it was just a phase because I was so young and I was a girl. And back, you know, back then it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. You didn't see it. It wasn't common. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they thought it was just a phase and I kind of kept bugging them. Like I want drums. I want drums. And so of course they bought me that, you know, that animal drum set that I think it's pretty much everyone's first drum set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they got me that. And I remember just. I just remember knowing how to play already, probably from watching so much. It, mm-hmm. At a, such a young age, you just soak it all in. And 
my hands knew what to do, my feet knew what to do, and and yeah, and that that's how it happened. I grew out of that little animal set in like a week. How old were you? I must have been about around seven, maybe. Okay. When I got that first little drum set. The interesting part of like of you of you saying that you sort of knew how to play already. I'm sure that there's people listening. They're like, "Oh, okay, I get it." Well, she just naturally had it, and I want to like I want to make sure that we we talk about that for a second because one, you were sitting by the drum set watching, and whether you knew it or not, learning right uh, for a long time. So you so you learn that way. And I'm guessing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing when you started to play, you didn't sit down and sound like, you know, Tony Royster Jr. the first time you sat down and played, right? But <laughs> exactly. like, because I think a lot of times we make these excuses and we're like, oh, well, then they just must be naturally talented. And, but I, don't, I always think that there's always that backstory and you saying you were sitting there for, you know, for a long time, like watching and learning and all that sort of stuff. I think that was your that was your a few developmental years for you right yes totally totally yeah and when i say play it's just like exactly not like a tony royster you know but just a basic a basic groove and uh and yeah it was just so much soaking in and watching watching his hands and feet and also another thing also just uh playing for me in in my opinion and it also just works for me um you don't not that you don't need a drum kit but you can play and there's been instances where I just I didn't have a drum set and I needed to kind of practice so I would just obviously practice on my on my legs and I find that as a form of practicing because it has helped me with grooves and stuff you know if if mm-hmm. I don't have if I'm not if I don't have a drum set right here where I can play before a a show or or a rehearsal or whatever it is but um and because I didn't have a drum set growing up, that's how I would play. That's how I practice. So I would just hit, you know, on my legs and stuff, and I would just follow what the drummer's doing. And naturally, you get on the drum set, and your arms kind of just know what to do already. Right. The interesting part, too, is that we we always think that, like, we need a new piece of gear or, like, we need uh-huh. this thing or that's going to make us practice more or this thing's going to make us practice more. And I remember – when I started, probably not uh, dissimilar to a lot of people, you know, I had like, I had a, I think I had a kick drum, I had a kick drum and a floor tom, and I used the rim of the kick drum as like the ride cymbal, and I used a chair next to me as a snare, and practiced for hours and hours, you know, and it's like where, sort of like where there's a will, there's a way, and I think that that you fall into that category too. You're like, look. I don't need to have a brand new kit with all the, you know, all the bells and whistles. Like I just want to play something or, 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 you know, work on patterns or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And you use your hands and your feet or whatever, whatever you have available to you. Mm-hmm. And to elaborate, I remember I was in high school now, by this time I already had a drum set, but mm-hmm. um, I was on the basketball team and we were on our way to a basketball game. So the whole team were in that big yellow school bus on our way to, to, to the game. And uh, I just had, I really, really wanted to learn the songo with mm-hmm. the left foot clave. And I didn't have, even with my drum set back home, I didn't have the, the pedal to do that. Um, and so on my way to the game, on the yellow school bus, I just 
I was just playing on my on my on my legs and slowly doing the pattern with my the clave pattern with my my left foot and that's I got it on the yellow school bus when I went home I made this like makeshift the uh, little wood uh I had the block mm-hmm. but uh I got on the kit and and there and I just just executed it but nice. I learned it on a school bus just nice. on my legs yep I think I learned the cascara pattern and how to play clave laying in bed every night. And I would just like try Uh. to keep playing it over and over and like figuring out where, what beats hit together and what beats didn't. And then same deal. Like you walk into the practice room and you're like, Oh, this is starting (laughs) to like make sense. And, and you did it, you did it on a school bus. I was just thinking, I was like, man, you were pretty badass in high school. You're like, I play basketball. I play the drum. Not that you're, (laughs) not that you're not badass now too, but, uh, was it, was there, uh, was there a love for sports like there like there was for drumming and music? Um, music was always a step ahead, but now yeah. middle school the band the band was it was it we were it was a top notch we were really good. Um, but then high school came and I don't know what happened. It was just it was not very it just lacked in in so many. In, in everything and um but I still I still uh still maintained and still did the whole marching band concert band jazz band mm-hmm. because it was it still was it for me and did, uh I did really, you play did you play when you were saying you played basketball was that middle school or high school both yeah how did you juggle yeah, all of that because I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a big difference between being an athlete and being a musician um uh-huh. So I think a lot of the disciplines are the same. And I've talked to a lot of, obviously, a lot of professional musicians, but um, professional uh, uh, athletes about it, too. So I don't think there's a big difference. But I'm curious about about juggling. And did you did you use one approach that you were maybe using in basketball in in playing music or like was there any crossover that you were using in both? Uh, That's a good question. I never I haven't. Never thought of that. Um, I want to say I I don't know actually. I no. just really I just really went. I mean I it I loved them both. Uh, music really just stood out, but I really did love basketball. It was fun and doing something else. Well, when I joined basketball, I remember my my band teacher. He was kind of concerned only because. Uh, Oh, what happens if you jam a finger and stuff? And I told him it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. right. Uh, thing is, I, I jammed. I jammed. Uh, it, it happened quite often where I would jam my finger, but I never, never let that uh, affect my my playing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the playing in, in school wasn't hardcore, you know. So if you're if it's marching band season, you just I was on the snare during middle school and during high school. I did snare and I did the quince. So. Um, yeah, it it didn't really uh, affect it in a in a bad way. Hmm. Yeah, I'm always curious about how how we can take disciplines from one area of our life and sort of use it in the other, or like learn how to learn. You know, as foolish mm-hmm. as that as that as that sounds, but uh, because I think discipline is also a muscle, and I'm guessing I would imagine that the sports discipline was helping your drumming, and the drumming discipline was helping your sports. 
and and vice versa. So you were sort of like doubling down on the discipline, which right. now now you know the long term effects of that. And this is all theory, and and somebody's probably listening and it's like Nick, you have no idea what you're talking about. But <laughs> I would I would uh, I would imagine that that you're now experiencing like the compound effects of that. Uh huh. It shows, you know, and you can probably learn faster. You can probably you probably have a more disciplined approach. And again, I'm making all this up, uh, you know, mm-hmm. speculating. But would you say that you're pretty pretty disciplined when it comes to comes to your regimen, your practice routine, all that sort of stuff? Uh, that's a good question. Yes, and but in the situation where I'm at right now, no, only because it's hard to practice when once you're on tour, right. Yeah. So, right. um, but, but I see what you're saying and, and thinking, you know, thinking about it, it's, yeah, make, it totally make, makes sense. And I'm sure it has, uh, is, it has had an effect on, yeah, on both vice versa. So, um, when you were, when you were in high school, were you thinking that it was going to be music? Were you thinking it was going to be sports? Were you ever thinking, uh, like going to the NCAA or something like that? Or were you like, I'm just going to play music? Uh, no, actually, um, it was, I didn't, I didn't know where I saw myself. I knew I saw myself just playing in church. Um, mm-hmm. but as a full-time job playing music, I wasn't, I wasn't too sure where I would end up, especially at that age. You know, I didn't know it, it, it was such a different time. Um, so I just wanted to be a gym teacher. So I went to college, uh, for sports management and, uh, studying to be a gym teacher. Interesting. Yeah. So I did that for some time and, uh, yeah, gym, gym class was obviously, it was my, my favorite. I was like, yeah, every gym teacher, they, they, they just loved, they loved me cause it was fun. You know, it was my favorite class but who wasn't like who i mean gym is gym it i think it's fun. everyone's well i don't know if it's everyone's exactly. favorite class <laughs> i'm sure there's a there's plenty of people who dread gym class yeah 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 but i loved <laughs> it too i get it <laughs> i mean it's a lot better than like you know i'm guessing people look forward to that more than they do like trigonometry or something exactly yeah right um so what was what was the shift what made you think maybe i can do this music thing yeah, so the shift was, I mean, I was work I was working and, and going to college for sports management and um and then I just remember sitting at in my in my desk at work and I just uh I always had music playing, but I mean once I have music playing, forget it. It's just game over. It's just I'm I'm focused on the on the music. I, I can't that's all I wanna do, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and the way music just gets me is is just it's, it's just, it is, it, that's what it is for me. And I just thought to myself, uh, I need to do, I need to do something with music because I can't take it anymore. So that's when I, the auditions for Berkeley were happening in New York. And I thought, well, let me, let me just give it a try. And I auditioned and I didn't tell, I didn't mention it to anyone. My parents didn't even know, um, but uh, I remember then a few weeks, probably maybe even a month later, I received the email and uh, I was so nervous. I was at work. I was so nervous to open it. I couldn't even, I, I even felt sick. <laughs> and and uh, so once I opened it and I saw I was accepted and 
then, okay, I got through that part. Now the second trial was telling my mom, how was I going to tell my mom, mom, I got accepted to this college that's out in Boston. And, uh, are you going to be okay with that? You know, but were you still living in Lehigh Valley at the time? Yes, 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 yeah. I was. Where were you going uh, to school? And, uh, I was at, uh, uh, not, I'll try to see, uh, uh, Northampton Community College. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, so I was there and, uh, yeah. And I told, that's when I told my mom and she was, to my surprise, she was totally cool with it. She, you know, her and my father, they, they both helped me and, and we went up to Boston and we got everything sorted and yeah. Cause growing up, I always thought my mom, she would, she kind of, she wanted us to stay in the area. You know, my brothers, they went to, uh, to Kutztown mm-hmm. University and, yeah. um, and I was There's like, a great percussion department at Kutztown. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. 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 Really good percussion department. I mean, that's wow, that okay. I went. That's where I went to school, and uh, and Will Rapp was the was the head there, and I studied under Dr. Kumar, and and uh, yeah, it was just it was a really good. It was really well known for for their percussion department, actually. Nice. Yeah. Was was there a drum line as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was there, and John Riley teaches there too. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, sorry I hijacked your uh, your story, but. No, I'm just, uh, it, it throws me back, you know, just thinking, because I would go with my brother sometimes to, to, to Kutztown. I'd stay in the library while he was studying. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, they built like a whole new, uh, a whole new like performing arts center there. And I went back, I don't know, I think I went back like five years ago or something and did a clinic there. Um, nice. But, yeah, and I was like, man, you didn't have all this stuff when I was here. But there was definitely like, you know, there was there was multiple jazz ensembles. There were you know co- small combos and stuff like that. There was uh, there was drumline. There was I was in a African percussion ensemble, a Brazilian percussion ensemble. Uh, you know, I was in a salsa band, a jazz band. All, I mean, there was there was a lot. There was there was definitely a, a heavy uh, percussion presence there for sure. Nice. Um, so I totally derailed us. Um, oh, so you're like, <laughs> yeah. all right, look, I'm getting, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm gonna go do, I'm gonna go do the music thing, and you go to, and you go to Berkeley. Yeah, um, and I go to Berkeley. Was that a? Were, were you scared? Were you, or did it just feel um, like the right thing to do? It felt like the right thing to do. It, it did. It felt like the right thing to do. Um, I was okay with leaving with leaving home because mm-hmm. uh, prior to that, well, I was always uh, I was doing some clinics for Roland and stuff, so I was flying out here and there, and it was just uh, it felt natural, kind not natural, but yeah, I was a uh, it was it didn't hit me hard once I left, mm-hmm. and I was okay to be be away from home and and to travel, and I knew that. Being a musician, it's it would be something that I would have to do, and uh, and thinking about it now, you know, I've been on tour for for seven, going on eight years. Um, yeah, you know, you always miss home and stuff, but uh, but it feels right. It feels right. Nice. So, what's the yeah. what is the experience like when you when you get to Berkeley? I gotta because I've never actually talked about anyone like okay, you walk in the door and what to expect. Because I'm sure that there's people listening that are considering going to Berkeley or or, or going to any mm-hmm. any music school. Uh, I because I I feel like and you can speak to this better than I can. I feel like Berkeley feels different than just going to a normal 
college that has a music department, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody there is it, like, it's just music and that it's pretty mm -hmm. heavy. Yeah. Uh, my first experience, I remember going in and we had, we went into to the orientation and there was a band that was playing for, you know, for all the, for all the newcomers and just watching that band and the singers. Oh man. Already just with that, you know that you're sitting in a room with just incredible, incredible young up and coming musicians, mm -hmm. you know, that, that one day, whether they're, they're just doing their solo projects or they're on tour with the biggest artists, you know, they're sitting in that room with you. It's a, it was a, it was a, it was a cool experience, you know, just knowing that and, and being in the room with so many amazing, talented musicians. Uh, but once, once, once that kicked off, it was just like, okay, it's like game time. Let's, let's go, let's do this. Let's learn. I was so eager to, to just learn more especially with all the, all the teachers, all the instructors. And Mike Mangini was there at the time. And I remember just walking right by him. And it was just like, what? Who was that? Mike Mangini <laughs> just walked right by me. I studied with Terry Lynn Carrington, who uh, also to me was just like, oh my gosh. It was, it was just mind-blowing. It, it, was, it was incredible, an, an incredible experience for sure. Nice. I gotta. Yeah, I gotta I imagine it's a little. I mean, maybe, maybe not for you, but for me, I think I, it would be a little. Uh, it'll. It would be a little intimidating to me, you know, because yes. you're thinking, okay, these are the these are the best musicians in the world, you know, the like everyone mm -hmm. is trying to get into the school. Okay, I made the cut. I got in, but for me, I'd be like, if they accepted a hundred people, was I number one hundred? You know, like, am I, <laughs> am I at the bottom of this list or, or, you know, and not like it's a competition, but like, where do I, where do I stand? And uh -huh. cause when I, I'll be totally transparent and honest. When I, when I went to Kutztown, I was like, my head was so big, like I couldn't even fit in the door. Mm. And I was like, and I was like, I'm the man. Like I was already playing in a band and all this stuff. And like yeah. the first week I was there, that changed really quickly. And I was oh, like, man. oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, so I, I can't really play anything. So, um, which was great. I mean, I needed that. I needed, you know, someone to knock me down about 50 pegs. But, um, <laughs> but so I'm guessing you, you are not the type of person that I feel like walks in with this big attitude. So how did you feel when you were walking in? Were you intimidated? Were you, were you thinking maybe I do belong here? I don't belong here. Like, do you remember the feelings that you had going in there? Yeah, definitely intimidated is one of them. Um, intimidated was definitely one of them, but I was just so eager to learn and also not just from the teachers, but to learn from just my peers and they have in Berkeley, there's a, they have the practice rooms. So that's where I want to say where I learned the most was in those practice rooms, just shedding with, with my peers. And, um, cause they would just go and they would just get into the rooms and just shed. And I had never seen it live the way I did at Berkeley and seeing those guys just go at it, just shedding and just having a good time. Cause it was never a competition. They were just shedding and having a blast. Mm -hmm. And just seeing, just seeing that, and my way, my way of learning also is exactly like you know going back when I was seven years old at church, just just watching. 
So watching them, seeing them right in front of me, the way they played just with each other, it was, yeah, it was incredible. And yeah, intimidated. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause if you asked me to sit on the drums after them, <laughs> no way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to, you know, to my room over there in the corner and I'll, uh, I'll practice and then, uh, yeah, right. maybe, You're... maybe I'll come out and play with you, but, uh, Sure. <laughs> yeah, or you're walking through the practice room and it sounds like there's two drummers and you walk around the corner and it's one and you're like, oh, yep. no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yep. But, you know, I felt it, it was good. I it, it was a great experience. I felt like I just really wanted to learn. And that's getting into the school was, was incredible. And I was just so eager to just learn more. And not only drums, but theory and and. And harmony and just everything that 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 the school offers mm-hmm. I wanted to take it all in and make sure that I was getting the most out of it yeah for sure I mm-hmm. think w- one of the other things that I think is important to to remember that when you're in you know when you're in those situations that everyone is like we're all just human you know like mm-hmm. everyone's intimidated everyone is self-conscious everyone is like you know, if even if you're someone like me who walked in with this big ego, that's just like, that's a defense mechanism. You know, that's an insecurity, I think. Uh-huh. And I think that once we realize that, I'm sure that you did too, like once you realize, look, we're all just, we're all people just trying to figure it out, right? Uh-huh. And like, and then that, <laughs> and then you get that level playing field and, and everyone becomes collaborative and supportive and all those sorts of things. Uh, I think, I think that's a, a really important message, like, just getting, you know, talking about you getting into that, into the situation at Berkeley, like for anyone listening, you know, just remember that we're all human and no one knows what the hell they're doing. And, you know, like we're all just like, I don't know. I just don't want to look like an idiot and I'm scared. And, and, you know, we all have our insecurities and, and all that. Yep. 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 That's so true. So how, at how the did end- you, go ahead, go ahead. No, because I mean, throughout my throughout my journey at Berkeley, my number one question was, okay, you know, I'm here, but but what what next? Um, what's going to be the outcome of this? That was my all. That was always my number one question. So, I mean, I could have, I could have been the biggest, the baddest, you know, kid on the block at Berkeley, but 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 then what? You know, and right. um, so that yeah. I, yeah, and but also I was never that type of person either. <laughs> I always knew uh, I'm just I'm just learning. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was so, probably number one hundred to get just you know to get in. I don't buy I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. But so how were you how were you planning while you were in there? Or I I think it's an important maybe exercise for people listening, whether they're, you know, whether they're in school or they have a career right now that they're trying to build or they're trying to get more gigs, whatever the case may be, like, what was your thought process or or what were some of the actions that you took to like, make sure that there was something after Berkeley, like you didn't come out of there, like you said, being like, oh, I'm the biggest, baddest cat on the block and you have no plan, no gigs, no nothing. Mm -hmm. So I was just, uh, I was thinking ahead. So I was in school trying to learn as much as I could, but I was doing research, uh, wondering what can I do next or what would I like to do? Do I see myself playing on tour? Do I see myself just playing at church? Um, do I see myself? Yeah, where? So then I thought uh, I wanted something. Um, I didn't want to just do 
a touring gig. I wanted something more more stable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm I'm next to New York, so why not live in the city and perhaps do like a Broadway show, which is always fun, even though you know you're down in the pit and no one sees you. And <laughs> I <laughs> said I was I was lucky enough to sit with one of the drummers from one of the shows down on Broadway, and he had his huge this huge monster drum set with a bunch of percussion and timpanis and everything. But he was, uh, it was the Matilda show. But mm-hmm. obviously he was downstairs in a whole different studio. No one would ever see him. He can roll up to work in in flip-flops and, and a t-shirt and shorts. And it was okay. You know, but um, but yeah, so then I thought, I thought something like that. I'm kind of close to home. I can still see my family and just travel and... And so I started doing research. And the Broadway parks are great. You know, like if you're in yeah. there and you're in a tenure gig, I mean, there, you have like, you have a salary. It's a, it's a yes. constant gig. You have health insurance, you know, uh-huh. like it's, it's not a bad, it's not a bad gig. Exactly. And that's where my head was at. Even at such a young age, I always wanted something like that, you know, benefits, almost like a real normal job, like, you know, benefits, mm-hmm. uh, stability. And, um, you jumping from tour to tour or like band to band wasn't something that, that you were interested in. No, no. Only because it was, uh, yeah, I I wanted something stable. And although that's, that's still something I would, I would still do. And it's, it's on my bucket list and, uh, eventually I will do maybe, you know, God willing. But, um, but right now, yeah, it, my, my focus was on that. I want to find something, something stable, something, you know kind of normal but mm-hmm. not I guess <laughs> and uh, and yeah and so I started doing research and I came across a Michael Jackson show and I thought man how cool would that be and I thought it was Broadway and I thought that would be so awesome you're playing Michael Jackson tunes and how cool is that so looking into it they already had the band um, it was uh, they hired his originals Michael's originals um, and so then, yeah, that, that was where my focus was. Little did I know, uh, about a, a few months, maybe six months later, it I, turns out it wasn't, it wasn't Broadway. It was Cirque du Soleil. There was a Cirque du Soleil, Michael Jackson, uh-huh. uh, one show. Mm-hmm. Right. And I found out only because that's when I got, I got scouted, uh, through, through Cirque. I got an email and. They were there was a new show opening up and they were looking for for a female drummer. How did you get scouted through Cirque? Sorry to cut you off, but I think that's an important because you submitted things to them before or no? It uh, just I believe it was through YouTube, either through YouTube or Facebook. They saw a video. Yeah, they saw because there's different scouts everywhere. So Mm -hmm. there's scouts that are literally going to different competitions. There's a Cirque du Soleil scout there, you know. Right. Um, or there, you have your online scout who's searching for people online. So it's very important, you know, to put your stuff out there. And little did I know, I mean, it was, it was just, I have, I have no idea what video it was, but they saw, they contacted me through Facebook, hmm. um, back, back when I, when I used Facebook and, um, and I thought it was just another bogus email, you know, bogus, uh, cause I had offers coming in and. And they weren't really legit, or they just seemed skeptical. And um, but I luckily I was with a friend, and she was like, 
she was like, no, this is actually really good. Don't you know Cirque du Soleil? And I was like, um, no. When I looked into it, you're like, over, no, it seems like a scam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like with more reason. No, this is a scam. And no, but, um, so I started looking into it and then emailing back and forth and no, it was a legit thing. There was already 15 candidates that had submitted stuff and they were already going through, you know, the, the process of which one was going to get the gig. And, but I got scouted. So it was different. I didn't have to do much cause they had everything already for me. It, it was, it was weird, a d- different situation, but okay. And, um, so they presented all the 15 ca- uh, candidates, including myself, uh, to the board at Cirque du Soleil and all the producers and everyone there. And about two weeks later, I, I, I got the phone call that, that I got the gig and it was all through just, I wasn't looking for it, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it just happened. It was, and that's where I go back to Berkeley, my Berkeley days. I was planning obviously on something stable, a, more versus kind of going on the contract side because I don't know, I just wanted stability, also health insurance, you know, all that stuff that musicians normally struggle to find. Right. And, um, but at a, it was, that's where my head was at. And about half a year later, it just, it just happened, you know? I didn't, mm-hmm. I never looked for it. Have you seen the new Promark Select Balance? So Select Balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to promark.com. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. The Cirque thing, the the contracts, are they typically, how long are they typically, or does it depend, uh, I'm guessing it depends on the show, but, but some of them are long, right? Some of them can be two years or three years, right? So when you start a new creation, so a brand new show, the way I did, it starts off with a two-year contract. Okay. But then, but then it's there. It's a yearly contract after that. So if you want to continue, and if they also want you back, <laughs> then uh, then you just resign for another year, and then it just keeps going for another year, another year, another year. If the show continues, or but if you like, you can tran- Can you transfer to a different show or something like that, or? 
or you, have you to can chance you would have to aud- re- audition for it you can right. be put placed on the transfer uh list i i believe it's after three years on one show either two or three years on one show maybe even four sorry <laughs> got you but um no, I, th- I believe it's it's either two or three years. You can then be placed on the transfer list, and if if an opportunity opens up at another show, then you get higher priority versus you know because you're in the company, but you mm-hmm. do still have to audition for it. Right. Mm-hmm. I love the I I love that the you know the fact that one there's so many Cirque shows out there. I mean, there's like there's many opportunities, but also I think a lot of times we're, you know, we as musicians think, okay, I have a couple options, right? I can go out and be a freelancer and jump from band to band and and really not have a ton of stability doing it unless I get into like a really good situation or I become a rock star, right? And I'm in a band (laughs) and it takes off and we sign a record deal and, you know, go on to play in stadiums or that's it. And I just, or, you know, I just, I, play locally and I don't make any money and I have to get a day job. But there's so many other things out there that people do that I think that just doesn't get brought up enough. Cirque specifically, uh, Broadway, you know, obviously there's teaching and all that, but I'm saying from a, from a playing perspective, um, there's cruise gigs. And in fact, Mm -hmm. a a friend of mine from my home, from Westchester, actually Pennsylvania, um, runs a company where he hires bands for cruise ships. So he partnered with billboard and built, I think it's called billboard on board. And they put bands in hundreds of cruise ships around the world. And so there's all these like, there's all these gig opportunities that I don't think get talked about enough because, Mm -hmm. uh, for one reason or another, I don't, you know, I don't know why maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just misinformation or whatever it is. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad that I'm glad that we're talking about this and, and letting people know that like, there's so many options of things that you yeah. can do. It's not just like you're either, you know, Chad Smith and the Chili Peppers or you're some guy who can't pay his bills and, mm-hmm. you know, like you're playing at the local dive bar. There's a big mm-hmm. gap in between there, you know. Right. Yeah, so, the cruise ships. Actually, that that is something that Berkeley did offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the summer, you can uh, – if you, if you audition, you can do a, a cruise ship tour. <clears throat> and yeah, that, that did, that wasn't, that was something I, I kind of, I looked into just to, you know, cause, um, you're still just exploring, you need different options. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, that, that did come up too. That's interesting. You said that that's good to put out there. And I, I think especially like, especially if you're a younger player, a cruise ship gig, I mean, I think it's a good gig for anyone, but especially a younger player, because you have to learn so many different styles you get to see the world. You get paid for it. You build up your resume. All of those sorts of things. Uh, yep. You know, you don't have you don't you're not married with kids and all that kind of stuff. So being away from home isn't isn't as tough. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, I just I I urge people to just try to seek out all these different opportunities, not just like oh I got to find a band and and you know if I don't find a band then I have to go be an accountant. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with being an accountant, but if you don't want to be an accountant, then it sucks to be an accountant. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's a percussionist I know. Uh, his name's Eddie Mon- Montalvo. He's mm-hmm. from uh, New York, and um, he managed to. He was playing with the with the top biggest uh, Spanish artists, like Puerto Rican artists and and stuff, um, doing huge tours and huge gigs. 
while maintaining his day job in New York. And I mean, he has his he has his own LP signature series, Gonga and and and, and bongos and stuff. And um, he was it was just his story to me was so is just so incredible how he maintained in living in New York his day job plus going on the biggest tours with the biggest Latin artists. And uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I have. I have mentioned this multiple times on the podcast. My thing is that I always want to change the narrative of what it means to be a successful drummer or a successful musician. And I think successful or the word success, which I don't really like the word, but I think it's important to figure out what that means for you. Right. And there's no right or wrong answer. So for Didi, if it's working for Cirque, that's amazing. Right. If that's what you want to be doing. Great. And for someone else, if it means having a day gig and and doing gigs on the weekend that you really like, then that's great. For someone else, Mm -hmm. if it's jumping from tour bus to tour bus to tour bus and, you know, from band to band to band to band and just like constantly hustling and that works, then great. And like anything, anything in between, I really believe that we got to design our life for ourselves versus Mm -hmm. like looking what everyone else does and being like, oh, I have to do that. And then everyone will say I'm successful. Like it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. Exactly. Exactly. And I think ultimately that makes you happy. That makes you the happiest, right? Yep. Yep. So were you going to say something? Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more with that statement. So what are you, what are you thinking for yourself? Like, moving forward staying with Cirque uh what else is I mean you had mentioned some bucket list things like you know doing a tour uh what else do you have on your bucket list um besides besides us swimming with a great white shark diving, <laughs> um because that, that's one of the things that that being with Cirque has has given me opportunities to, you know, see the world and, and see different places. I've, I've toured in South America, I've toured Europe, I've toured Canada, the U S and, um, now with now jumping on a new gig, which I'm on now with Cirque du Soleil, this is my second show. Um, you know, we're hopefully in the future, possibly going to Japan and all that. I mean, I can't really say that per se, but, um, you know, just hoping in the future it might happen mm-hmm. and just, but, you know, seeing different places and, 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 uh, I got to go skydiving in Dubai, you know, that's something I would never have gotten to say, oh yeah, I saw the, the palms right from the, the right. sky and, that's you know, awesome. it's a, I don't think I would have ever had that opportunity. I guess it, I was just in the area. I was in Europe. I was so close. Okay. So yeah, all those things just kept getting checked off off my bucket list because of of this tour and um but you know playing in a I've never gotten the chance I played in front of I think I did the math when I uh I played in front of I can't it was maybe 1.5 million people in in my last tour however I've never played in a huge arena with uh I don't know let's say 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. So I play in front of a crowd of 2,500 people every night, six, six nights a week, but never, you know, 20,000. Right. And I want to, I want to experience that one day. So 
it's things like that that are still on my bucket list and uh one one day you know lord willing it, it'll it'll happen and if not well <laughs> but um i just i've just been riding the wave basically i mean i'm happy where where i'm at right now in life and and what has happened prior and Cirque du Soleil has been you know it's been great it's a really fun gig and i get to play the drums every night i get i get paid for it i get to see the world travel the world for free you know on Cirque du Soleil's expense right so uh so it's things like that that you know make it worth the while and i would imagine because you're not traveling from city to city every single night it allows you like we talked about before like you can sort of get settled but it also allows you to sort of get things done during the day and like constant and like continue to evolve and and push your business forward and push your career forward and and all those sorts of things because it's a you know it's definitely a lot harder on the road when it's like on the grind and you're always on the go i I, and again i don't know i've never i've never uh played with cirque but i would imagine that it gives you a little bit more structure so that you can continue to evolve and continue to you know to i guess get some work done right yeah totally totally so and there's with Cirque it's cool because there's two there's different there's three different I guess like platforms per se that if you love if you love that lifestyle to just be on the road constantly every week different city there's arena tours for that and uh, there's a ton of there's Cirque say has a ton of shows that they're in a different city every week but then you also have your resident shows so mm-hmm. you have you're just there. That's that's your show. Whether it's in Vegas, whether it's in uh, in in Orlando, or there's in Mexico. There's a few scattered out through the, through the the globe. Mm-hmm. And also, um, or if you just if you're doing the big top show, which is what I've been doing, you're in each city for you know six to ten weeks, and you get to kind of chill out for a bit and then move to a different city. So there's there's different options for whatever your preference may be. Right. Do you think you'll move over to the to traveling more, like going, you know, being being in a show that's like in different cities every week? Um, I probably not. No. Probably not. Yeah. Fair no, enough. no. I, I I I enjoy this one. It's different. It's. I'm telling you, I never never would have thought of playing. It's not it's not your traditional circus, but I mean, it's still you know Cirque du Soleil. It's. Uh, I never thought I'd be playing for a circus. <laughs> right. But, uh, right. yeah. It's sort of like the Beverly Hills of the circus, though. <laughs> yeah, it's not your traditional, you know, circus, but. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, but I'm in, a, I'm in a big top, you know, I'm in a tent, and I walk to work, you know, ho- that's, that's my job. It's a, a circus tent. And, uh, but, but, yeah, but it's different. It's different. And, and the music is killing. The music is really, it's rad. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about doing a new production the way I have is the music continues to evolve. I'm not just coming into something that's that's set. You know, you have to play this exactly how it is. And um, so with the show that I was on prior, which was, which was called Amaluna, I was able to, I was able to implement my style of playing as well. So it made it, yeah, it was, it was just so much more fun than playing to, something that was already structured structured by someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm currently at right now, doing a, this brand new show um, called Alegria. And the music is had been redone, but now it has to evolve. So 
we're in the process of, you know, making it grow and, and some subtle changes, being respectful to what is already there and, and prior what had been done. So, mm-hmm. but making it, you know, putting in a little bit of my, my own flavor to it, which is, which is cool. Nice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you're going to, if you go into a, and especially like a pop situation, you're playing, you know, you're, you're playing exactly what they want you to play every single night, no variations, no nothing. And, you know, night 23 of the 87 night run, <laughs> you're like, man, you know, you start thinking about laundry and all that kind of stuff when you're, <laughs> when you're up there playing yep. instead of being in the moment and, you know. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, and, and it's also nice, I'm guessing that you can, you know, you can leave your mark on, on the music, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're getting to, you're getting some artistic expression and, and you're not just up there sort of miming the parts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your advice for people who, who want to get into this type of situation if they want to, you know, Cirque or Broadway, especially Broadway is so like, that's a competitive space too. Um yeah. But based on your experience in Cirque and how you how you know that other people are are getting gigs, would um, you have any advice for that? Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing I would say is look into it, submit your application, whether it's a video or just even if you have no prior experience, you just have to do it. Just look in whatever it is that you want to do. Just see what the criteria is. Join a union if you have to, if it's, let's say, Broadway's a thing. Um, and just you, you just have to push through. I mean, it's the only way you'll, you'll be able to get to the next step if you have to do, you know, you got to cross the first, the first bridge in, in order to get to the next one. And uh, mm-hmm. just put yourself out there. That's the only way. I think it's, you know, that's, that's the hard part for a lot of people, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm not getting any of these gigs. And it's like, well, have you, have you tried? Well, no, <laughs> because I've, and it's like, well, you're, you can't just sit on the couch and wait for someone to knock on uh-huh. your door and be like, Hey, we're going to, you know, and who knows, like th- with, with you sort of, your situation was a little bit different where they found you. Right. But like mm-hmm. you may submit something and not get picked. But guess what? You got to mm-hmm. submit something again and submit something again and submit something again and constantly throw your name in the hat. And mm-hmm. if you do that enough times, I think you get picked. And you know what? Um, there's so many things that are happening, so many new shows, so many new gigs. Uh, there's, I believe it's, it feels so small. You feel like, oh man, everyone all these gigs, all the gigs possible out there are already taken. But no, there's so many new things happening. Someone's always creating something new, whether it's in Cirque. There's so many new things that are happening that, mm-hmm. you know, that you need to be, even if it doesn't happen, you submit something and six months later, then you you get a call to audition, you know, because there's something new constantly happening that or that's going to happen or that's in evolution right now. So... Yeah, you you just have to have to submit because you just never know. Right, got to be diligent. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. So where um, where can people follow what you have going on? Where's the best place to find you? Uh, probably Instagram, dd underscore negron negron. That's where you can just 
yeah, stay stay caught up with the latest stuff. I didn't even mention the videos that you do too, which I feel like we <laughs> should we should talk. So is that just uh, is I guess video editing is just something that you uh, that you do in your free time for fun? Yeah, you know what? Only because, like you said, we at least the band, the musicians, we have a little more time on our hands versus the artists. Right. Um, where they, you know, they have to train and, and all this stuff. We do have rehearsals and stuff going on, um, but not as much as the acrobats. So it gives me time to to do something else. And and because I'm here on tour, I would want to get a video done. And I don't have hands. I don't have people. I don't know anyone. I'm in this new city. They don't speak my language. You know, how can I get work done um, without kind of involving people or waiting till I get home renting a studio or doing whatever I need to do hiring people to do this for me so I figured uh why not learn it learn it yeah. myself so that's when I got into all that just a few years ago and but my thing was always be different um I didn't want to just do a normal video I like the I like the weird stuff in it so like all the fx stuff right and so that's when I just started doing just silly things and and just doing it for fun, you know, it's just for mm-hmm. fun. But um, I mean, I, I like them. I think they're th- like the first time I watched <laughs> a couple. I remember the one where you were like changing the heads. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like for the people who are listening, don't know what I'm talking about. So, so Didi does these videos uh, like I guess they're special effects videos, right? So she'll take like she'll say, oh, I'm going to change the heads on my kit. And she'll just take the heads and like throw them onto the kit. But and they'll be on the kit or like there was one with Red Bull, right? Like what I forget what you oh, did the with Red the Red Bull one. Uh-huh. Yeah, what did you do? You Um so I just drew a Red Bull on a piece of paper and then and then the Red Bull just came out of it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so check out I mean she puts these videos up. They're they're really cool to check out. So that'll uh that'll be more incentive to go go to her Instagram page and check them out. They're really cool. Yeah. But a uh, fun fact, I do have a Red Bull a day. One yeah. or or multiple. Yeah, it's just a Red Bull addict. Not yeah. that I need it. I just love the taste. <laughs> I I think there was probably five or six years where I was the same way. And my family owns a restaurant and we had Red Bull. Mm-hmm. So I would buy Red Bull, oh, you know, man. cases of it. Uh, yes. Like, so they would come in with like 10 cases, but two of them would be mine. And I'd take them. <laughs> so yes. I get it. I don't drink it anymore, but I, I used to. <laughs> I used to a lot. So now I just drink yeah. copious amounts of coffee. But uh mm-hmm. But Didi, uh, I want to one uh, acknowledge you for for the great work that you do, and for the positive energy that you put out there, and and for your willingness to sit down and chat and sort of open up the open up the book a little bit and and talk about your story and your journey along the way. Uh, so thank you for that. And also, again, I apologize about yesterday. I'm not big on I hate wasting people's time, and I hate when people waste my time. So the fact that you were totally cool with me wasting 45 minutes of your day yesterday and then we're willing to come back today and have another hour-long conversation with me i uh i really do appreciate that as well so and thanks for being on the podcast yes it was my pleasure thank you for having me it meant the world awesome and for everyone listening be sure to go out and check out dd on social and other than that, thank you uh, again for doing this. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your time in, in Toronto and Toronto. come back anytime. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Didi. Okay. Bye-bye.
There you have it, the magnificent Didi Negron. And you can find the show notes for this episode by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 517. And hey, if you like this episode and you like other episodes that we've put out, do us a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about a minute and we read every one of them and they don't go unnoticed for sure. It also lets other people know, hey, this is a good podcast to check out. So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.